The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. In a world that is full of superheroes, sometimes it turns out that the real hero was inside you all along. This is Totally Super. Welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And today we are reviewing Regular Man 3. <laughs> uh, no, I, Iron Man 3. I'm stealing the joke. It's not my joke. It's uh, it's a joke from Honest Movie Trailers. A, a joke that is is worth talking about. Yes, Iron Man 3, yeah, the Shane Black It's a joke that movie. references the, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the film. Really? Um, we'll talk about it. I yeah, guess. let's talk about the, it. Um, so uh, so I'm going to jump right in uh, because I really want to let you talk so I can then listen to myself talk. Uh, where were you uh, when you first saw the movie and what was your opinion of the film? And then I'll get into the industry stuff, but I do want to talk uh, really quick because I just I, we can't just skip over this. So where what was your sure. first impression? Of I. The film? I have okay. As in terms of where I was, I have absolutely zero recollection of where I was, or who I was with, or when it was. Um, however, that is in itself saying something because it means that by Iron Man three, we were so solidly ensconced into the mindset that oh, superhero movies happen all the time. That going to see one was no longer in any way a big deal. Um, so it just became another superhero movie that I saw around the time that it came out. Um, there were aspects of, I mean, overall I enjoyed it. Uh, there were some aspects of it that felt a little lackluster. Um, I mean, again, no, none of the three Iron Man movies really ever blew me away, even upon first viewing. Um, I remember walking out thinking, yeah, I enjoyed that one pretty much about as much as I enjoyed the other two. Um, with the notable thing that I did actually like how it spent more time exploring Tony Stark and less time exploring Iron Man. So I went to see this movie with uh, my good friend, Will, uh, who I haven't seen in years, but if you've seen the ninjas movies, he plays Herman uh, and was uh, just kind of right. Kind of my right hand person as, as we were making, um, as we were making the first two ninjas films and so this is a guy I spent a ton of time with. And then we kind of went back out to see Iron Man 3. As we did, he all, he and I also went to go see Kick-Ass. Also saw it with uh, with uh, PJ McGaw, my buddy PJ, and PJ's dad, who came with us too. So it was a very interesting group of people to go see it with. Um, Iron Man 3 is a movie that I walked out of just angry. Angry, hateful put it at the bottom of all of my Marvel films below Iron Man two. I was so wow, you, you, angry. you and, and uh, third superhero movies in the trilogy just do not have a good track record. I was so angry at this film and I couldn't figure out why I've been, as time has gone on, I have figured out why. And we'll talk today, I guess about <clears throat> whether or not that anger was deserved and whether or not I still feel that way. But when I walked out of the film, I was so pissed that like I, they felt like they got Iron Man so right in the Avengers, and then I I was like, how could they possibly possibly have gotten him so very wrong? Now, um, and we'll talk about it. Now, whether or not I felt that way, uh, this is a film that was made for two hundred million dollars. It uh, was came out in twenty thirteen, and from those two hundred million dollars, that's an expensive film. It made one point two one five billion dollars. <laughs> Um, With an 80% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. At the time it came out, it ended up being the fifth highest grossing film of all time. So, okay, maybe I was off a little. Um, It's helpful that this film is coming directly after Avengers. This is the first film to come out after the Avengers. So this is the first film continuing the universe. It's kind of like the... uh, um, I mean, I remember when... You know, when I first went to see The Hobbit, uh, the first film, I was like, okay, I'm not so sure about this. Maybe, okay, I guess I kind of enjoyed that. By the time we hit the second one and the reviews started coming out about the second one, um, the reviews were not great. But 
the sheer force of what, you know, the sheer driving force of another Lord of the Rings film, I knew I was going into that. I was going to be going to see it in the theater regardless of whether it was any good. Um, so I feel, so this is in a way it's sort of just because Iron Man three made all that money does not necessarily reflect on its own worth. I think more it reflects on the worth of Avengers to a point. I think that the, having a huge opening weekend reflects on the value of Avengers. I think that continuing on to the point where you make that much money, it has to ride on its own laurels. Mm. And like I said, 80%. Fair point. Fair point. You know, 80% is a is is very, very good. Um, yeah. This film, let's just get into it real quick. The biggest change in this film, of course, is the introduction of Shane Black as the director. Now, it's worth noting that Shane Black is a really, really well-known writer from the 80s. This is a guy who wrote uh, who wrote Lethal, Lethal Weapon 2. Uh, he wrote uh, what? He wrote Lethal Weapon. He, I think he he wrote. He was in the original Predator, which is weird. He just directed the remake of Predator. He wrote the the Monster Squad. Uh, so this is a guy who's who's done a ton. Um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is the movie that he made in two thousand five that got Robert Downey oh, wow. the role yeah. of Tony Stark. And this really is is Iron Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's got the it really monologuing. Is, yeah. It's yeah. It's got it's. There's a lot of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang in this. So he's also made a movie that I really really like called The Nice Guys. If you haven't seen it with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe, it's maybe my favorite Ryan Gosling film. It's like Ryan Gosling in every movie I see him in is super like kind of dour and thoughtful. He's always kind of he seems to be thinking about something else. But The Nice Guys, he's downright funny. He's super funny mm-hmm. in The Nice Guys and super charming. Um, so this is a film that, I mean, it's based on the the Extremis arc by Warren Ellis, which is one of the most known arcs in Iron Man. And it's argued that he could, that it handles Extremis probably better than the other best known arc, which is Demon in a Bottle, which is the one that we read, that we watched last time. So, And I actually know nothing about the Extremis arc uh, in the comics. Worth reading. Uh, I haven't read it, but my I've read a lot of reviews and I've heard a lot about it. And if you're into comics as much as you are, it would be worth reading the Extremis arc. I was never, as I've said before, I was never an Iron Man guy in the comics. So if I'm going to go back and read the comics about Iron Man, um, I'm first going to have to catch up on all the X-Men comics. Now, I did know the Mandarin. And the reason I knew the Mandarin was because the Mandarin featured uh, very specifically into the X-Men. One would remember back uh, right around when I started reading X-Men. We talked about this in the X-Men comics. I started around X-Men 215, and Psylocke was a big character back then. Psylocke had just been introduced as the the kind of demure, very British sister of Captain Britain, who is now in the X-Men. And the Mandarin basically takes her and revamps her into this ninja character, which is the Psylocke that we all know. And the Mandarin mm-hmm. is the one who did that in the X-Men comics. So that's the only reason I really knew. Rings. Yeah, I, the only reason I really knew the Mandarin was because of that. Worth noting, in Iron Man 1, the terrorists who have Tony Stark have the Ten Rings flags behind them. Yes, that, that is so, the name of the terrorist organization. So, yeah, so there's that. So that is kind of where I was, and that's, I mean, what can you say about Iron Man 3? It did really well. It's the final Iron Man movie. There's no really evidence that there's going to be any more Iron Man movies after this. You have the change of John Favreau into with Shane Black in there. Must have been a weird set with John Favreau still featuring as a fairly big character in the film. The guy mm-hmm. who made the first two films is, I mean, that would be kind of weird, right? It would be like, like, I think it all, somebody, I mean, yes, it, it, yeah. The extent of its weirdness probably comes down to, was it John Favreau's choice not to direct the third one? I would imagine, I would imagine that it was. John Favreau has gone on to continue to work for Disney in huge ways, uh, including the mm-hmm. upcoming Lion King um, is a John oh, true. Favreau film. So, so Disney is still on board with John Favreau, as is Marvel, because John does Happy Hogan has shown up again in Spider-Man just recently. So, right. Um, so, yeah. So all that being said, uh, let's get into, if we would like to, the plot of Iron Man 3. Lay it on us. Lay it on us. By the way, this is uh, maybe the last plot I'm going to do. We had a wonderful discussion today about the way that might change next time. Dun, dun, dun. 
Dun, dun, um, but dun. for today, uh, Iron Man 3 came out in 2013, coming after immediately after the events of the Avengers. You see, the Avengers really scared Tony Stark. Turns out when he goes through a wormhole into this into the sky, makes you a little bit PST, PTSD, screw the joke up. So he's decided to build suit after suit after suit, trying to protect him, trying to protect the world, trying to protect the people he loves because he feels like he can't. And he's become obsessed with it. Now, enter the Mandarin of dark Osama bin Laden type character who's committing terrorist attacks across the United States for reason unknown. And also enter Aldrich Killian, another super smart genius who has unlocked the power of human DNA to regrow cells, uh, to shoot fire, to be super strong, to melt things to have clothes that don't burn in the middle of fires. We'll talk about it. Um, multiple things, whatever it needs to be. And he has had the chance to work with Tony. Tony rejected him because of that desperation. Eldritch Killian has decided to use his organization AIM to advance his, his goal to control the world by owning both sides of the war on terror. Tony, after seeing Happy Hogan almost killed in an attack by an extremist guy exploding, challenges very smartly because he's a super genius challenges the Mandarin to a fight where the Mandarin answers by blowing up his house, nearly killing Pepper. Tony escapes with Jarvis taking him to the last place he was going to go, which is a little town in the middle of Tennessee in the middle of winter. And Jarvis breaks down. Tony now having only a broken down Iron Man suit and his, his wits and his skill and his strength goes and tries to track down what's going on with Extremis and all these people who are exploding. A big detective story ensues. He meets a cute little boy who has been in a lot of stuff. Um, he recharges the suit and goes with Rhodey after Aldrich Killian, who has been manipulating, uh, who's been manip manipulating the Mandarin, as we'll find out. At the same time, Aldrich Killian takes Rhodey's suit, kidnaps the president, and hangs him up from the side of an aircraft carrier. Finally, Tony breaks into where the Mandarin is and finds out the Mandarin is not the Mandarin. He's Trevor Slattery. He loves football. He's got kind of a substance abuse problem, and the Mandarin is actually being totally controlled and totally fabricated by Aldrich Killian, who wants to own both sides of the war on terror. Battle ensues man on man there, and then finally Iron Man on on Superman as big battles explode and, and fights are happen, and finally Aldrich Killian is killed, and at the very end, Tony, for reasons unknown, decides to completely destroy all of his suits and take the thing out of his chest until the second Avengers movie, where he can completely has the thing in his chest but not in his chest anymore and has tons of suits the end yeah i was okay so, so i was well done sir well done um yeah specifically i it was very hard for me especially when he started destroying this, those suits not to judge this movie by the fact that avengers 2 retcons so much of it uh, i had to force myself to remember i was just like okay they you know avengers 2 had not happened yet so, uh, well, I don't know whether it made me more annoyed at this movie or at Avengers 2, that you're absolutely right. It's like this, I'm going to destroy my suits. Psych, here are all my suits. Well, here's the thing, though, about, about Marvel, because I can't give it a pass. Because this is not a movie Because where... you think they knew it was coming. Well, yeah, this is, this is not, like, the strength of this movie... The money this movie made, you said it yourself, is based on its connection to the Avengers franchise. And mm. if you're going to be telling these stories within the Avengers franchise, you kind of have to say, hey, you know what? It needs to fit. It's a big problem that I had. It's a big problem that a lot of people had with The Last Jedi. And, I, and I'm on record as absolutely loving The Last Jedi. But clearly, The Last Jedi was a movie that Ryan Johnson wanted to make, and he wanted to make the movie he wanted to make, and... And if that intersected with what J.J. Abrams had in mind in the first in The Force Awakens, then you know, then that be damned. Um, it's the throwing away the lightsaber over the over the shoulder. And I kind of feel like when you're part of this Marvel universe, you can't say, "Well, this is not related to the Marvel universe." You know, what, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, at the very least, it's we're at the point where we need to start seeing these films not just as movies unto themselves, but chapters in an overarching story. Well, and frankly, this story depends. Tony's like Tony's place completely depends on Avengers One. 
So maybe working with Joss Whedon on what's going to be happening in Avengers 2, maybe not blowing up all the Iron Man suits. You know you can't do that. Like, unless you're going to have a a whole thing when Iron Man, like, does his suits again, unless that's going to be a big part of what you're going to do, you can't just say, okay, well, no more, no more Iron Man. Well, and I think this also ties... This also ties into what what you just you hit the nail on the head, which is for reasons unknown, he blows up the suits, um, which – and I'll go on record. I really enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed it uh, the second time through. I feel this movie has more holes in it than Iron Man 2. Um, yeah. And one of the big ones is – so let's talk about the PTSD. The first half of sure. the film, I thought they handled it really, really well. Um, I love the fact that it was being explored. The fact that no, having these near death experiences has consequences, even for superheroes, that it's a great, that is such a rich treasure trove, uh, of material to mine. Uh, but at the end of the moon, but at the end of the day, it's sort of Justin, I will pose this question to you. How did he cure or grow beyond his PTSD? Like, I have an answer. It, it doesn't. Okay, go ahead because I, I sure the don't. movie, the 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 movie tells you he grows beyond it by building by being the mechanic. So maybe that's the only way you explain the fact that there are so many suits again by the time he gets to Age of Ultron, is that mm-hmm. that he doesn't know how to deal with his trauma at the beginning of this film, and he's been dealing with it by building suits, and then he finds the boy codifies it for him and he finds that, oh, this is why don't you just build feel, something? Yeah. He doesn't feel the PTSD when he is feeling like he's actively trying to protect. So now he's actively trying to, trying to protect more and more. Now I'm, I'm, I'm squeezing it real hard. Like I'm, I'm, re- mm-hmm. I'm really trying to get that baggage into that overhead bin with this, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's kind of where I guess you can go. The reason why, you know, he has gone from destroying all the suits to literally building super Iron Man robots to be yeah. part of his Iron Man cadre. Like the fact that, that the tracks Iron pretty Legion well is after this is really weird. <laughs> it's really very yeah. Strange. I mean, I think that what so ironically, I, I think you hit it real well, and certainly that is a big moment when the boy says, uh, "Well, why don't you just build something?" And he has like the big revelation, um, and pretty much everything from that moment on. Um, he's calm, he's collected, he's, he's going about his business. Um, but then destroying the things that he built kind of seems to go against that thesis. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and the reason he did it was to make Pepper feel better in the moment, I guess. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's it's it's one of the big problems I had with the film. So let's just come out and say it and then we can talk about it. The reason I was so angry at this film is one, uh, what extremists can do is so unclear. It grows back Mm -hmm. limbs, but makes you explode, but makes you super hot some of the time and you can control it some of the time. And Aldrich Killian was experimenting on other people and sometimes they exploded, but then he also experimented on himself knowing that it was unstable and that people exploded all the time and he can breathe fire, Mm -hmm. but no one else can. And there's fire everywhere and people are continually walking through it in their clothes. Let's not forget sometimes that sometimes it also gives you like even if you've only had it for say half an hour it gives you amazing cat like lightning reflexes that allows you to you know and super kick strength. some kind yeah. of explosive device into the air and then fire it with dead eye accuracy and the laziness of the rules of that plus and i got to say it the fact that clothes don't burn is such a problem for me it's such yeah, an the issue. clothes don't burn. The clothes don't burn. I could make head cannon for by, you know, uh, you know, it's the I keep thinking of uh, in the movie. Thank you for smoking. They're talking about, uh, well, we want to start putting cigarettes in more films. How about this film? This, this film takes place in space in a space station. How are we going to have cigarettes in that? And somebody's like, well, you know, just put a line in there. You know, thank goodness that they invented the, you know, whatever device. Um, yeah, because sometimes they don't, they it, don't do that. It, it here really is that all. easy. All they could have done is say, you know, like again, a couple lines in there of uh, some way of saying, "Oh yeah, we've also delivered. You know, we've developed this polymer or material that our soldiers yeah, can but wear why is for when their skin that? gets super hot." 
But why is Pepper wearing that? Well, there is that too. <laughs> like, like it's it's a it's a real problem. It's a real. Here's why it's a problem. It's a problem when most of the scary, dramatic moments in this movie are occurring when people are around fire, specifically regarding Pepper. So when Pepper is doing yeah. stuff and Pepper is presumed dead and Pepper comes back and she emerges and she's fine and now Pepper is super awesome or when the lady's attacking Tony and it seems desperate like she's really going to kill him and she's walking through fire. And all mm-hmm. I'm thinking to myself is like, I can't get into the moment because it's, you know, they might, it's like they came out wearing clown shoes. Like the scene might be very good, but all I can think about is the damn clown shoes. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is, is, is the fact that this particular problem shows up at the most dramatic moments undercuts the dramatic moments. So I don't get emotionally invested in those moments because I'm super distracted. It's like a baby crying. I mean, I feel head. like. It is it is something it is not unheard of for that to be just one of those superhero conventions of oh we can't show people fighting naked so yeah the clothes don't burn um however it is you know 30 years ago I feel like that was something that everybody could get on board with um but now there there are higher demands of realism or at the very least continuity um so if they were expecting that, oh, just all the viewers will just, they'll get the, oh, yeah, the clothes aren't burning because we want to have fire and that's cool and all that. Um, if they were expecting universal buy-in to that particular suspension of disbelief, I think that was a that was an error. Yeah. Well, and also the thing that gets me is you know how it happened, right? You know that they said, well, someone said it, somebody about the clothes and the answer was, oh, they'll be fine with it. They'll be fine with it. Don't yeah. worry about it. Mm-hmm. And no, no, I'm sorry. If you're going to make a movie that's going to make $1.2 billion, you know, fifth highest grossing of all time, sorry, you have to put a little more thought into it than that. You have to maybe not mm-hmm. have her fall into fire. Maybe she doesn't have to fall into fire. Maybe it just looks like she falls into a building. You know, maybe. Yeah, maybe she just falls, which yeah, would also be they're... completely sufficient to killing her. And maybe their bodies aren't hot unless they choose to make them hot. You know, that I anything. It's yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a problem. And then the other thing I guess it really, you know, pissed me off was um I mean two more things that pissed me off. One, you really like that it's regular man, not Iron Man for so much of the film. And that's it's it's a perfectly decent Shane Black action shoot 'em up, right? It's a it's a lethal weapon movie. It's mm-hmm. fine as that. Yeah. But I wanted Iron Man. That's what the movie's called. It's called Iron. It's not called Tony Stark. It's called Iron Man. And there's so little Iron Man. And when Iron Man's in it, he sucks. I mean, he really does. His his armor sucks. So we can go back to one of the things I said I really liked about that first movie and that I said mm-hmm. that were that was missing from the new Avengers film with the new nanotech. The weight of it. The weight of the armor, feeling like the armor was made out of, you know, metal. And yeah. this time, does it not seem like it's made out of aluminum? <laughs> Yeah, and it's, I mean, really, the armor is used for comedic effect about half the time. Yeah, and and comedic effect, or look how cool it is. He can jump in and out of armor, and then it gets destroyed, mm-hmm. and they can jump into another armor, and it gets destroyed. I, I feel like this, po- the, uh, I, I agree. So the my my biggest issue with the, the big final fight in this is, um, is it had sort of, it, part of it was deus ex machina. Um, part of it was also kind of the... It was a similar feeling to what I had in Return of the King when, uh, you know, uh, Aragorn shows up with the army of the dead. And after 30 minutes worth, uh, you know, we've been watching this incredibly, wonderfully done pitched battle where the good guys are hanging on by the skin of their teeth trying to reach victory. And then suddenly Aragorn shows up and within seconds, the entire evil army has been decimated. Um, It's, you know, if we've been watching... Iron Man for three movies so far. And Iron Man is about just Tony and his suit. And suddenly it's like, surprise, I have 50 suits now, all of whom have the abilities of just the one suit. And guess what? All of whom had the abilities of that suit. They all had the abilities of the suit at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, (laughs) it was. Where were they? Exactly. So it's sort of the, yeah, it's. 
I can see why they were thinking, oh, this will be such a big, dramatic, triumphant moment. It was too much. Um, I feel I, like they, yeah. Well, and I feel like the, um, the the actual mechanics of the action scene of him jumping out of one suit and jumping into another, it's pretty cool. It's, it's kind of cool. Um, yeah. But what that does to the weight and power of the Iron Man armor is problematic for me. It feels How like about- there's zero weight to it anymore. I mean, like, like Iron Patriot seemed way cooler than anything that Tony yeah. Stark had because Iron Patriot pitch- still seems like a robot suit. Let me pitch this to you. So um, I was saying the, you know, the thing I enjoyed about that. I mean, I feel like one of the messages behind this film was that, again, it's like Iron Man is not the hero Tony Stark is. Um, Iron Man has always just been an extension of Tony. Um, the which ironically the final fight kind of subverted um or gave up on in a in, you know in in one of those things of it just like okay if we were writing it would we make this better um would you have liked it more if yes like the movie started with tony losing access to all of his iron man stuff um you know so much of the movie was him just you know tony stark being macgyver like it wasn't this if the final fight were not Tony suddenly getting access again to all of the really uber cool nanotech things that he had, but instead Tony Stark overcoming this massively powerful villain using by building some cheap, like Jerry rigged, uh, Iron Man, much more similar to the original one that he built in the first film. Um, no, I don't want to me see that send- I, I, I still want Iron Man action. I think you could have done it by having sort of what you did with the with the original um, arc reactor in the first movie. Have it be that the original suit, the one that he used in the first movie, is like the one that's mm-hmm. like on display, like in the Smithsonian or something somewhere. And all of his suits get destroyed, and they can do all these cool things. Like they have superpowers that. He oh, never so had he before. has to go back to square one, but square one was still really. Awesome and Iron Man. It was, it yeah. was awesome, but all it that. had was repulsors. It had repulsors and a couple of missiles, and that and could fly mm-hmm. and could punch, and that's all it could do. Whereas you have other suits yeah. that can do a billion other things. You now have no the the realization being I don't need your suits that can fly under me at any moment. I need to be able to, to step into a suit. I mean, if you want to make it thematically, I need mm-hmm. to step into it to to use yeah. it instead of trying to pull it. To, I, I I mean, I don't know what you could do thematic. Now we have to rewrite the entire movie. Yeah. But I think ultimately, I want the I want Iron Man suit to be cool. That's part of the thing, right? It, can you imagine watching a Star Wars movie where at the end the 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 joke was that lightsabers are kind of dumb? Well, I think that's the thing is they they were trying to make the suits cool, and I understand the difficulty that you run you run into when you've had three Iron Man films before this because Avengers certainly counts. Um, how do you you get into a there's a term in game design called uh, power creep or bloat, which is that and it happens a lot in games like World of Warcraft games that, you know, where you're continually doing expansions. uh, But the games are long lasting, which means that the weapon that was like the most powerful weapon back in the first year of the game is now not as powerful as whatever sword like somebody just picks up from a random dungeon. Um. The Iron Man suits were running into the power creep issue because eventually there comes a point where in order to make the thing still cool, you know, or cooler than the last iteration, you just have to push it into the realms of absurdity. And I feel like they hit that point in this film. Except except the suit that he's in most of the time, the prototype that he's in is crappy like the whole Mm -hmm. time. It's always bad. It was just always a bad idea, and I don't know who thought it was a good idea to put Tony into a suit that was always a bad idea. Yeah. I'm, so, yeah, so well, that was the issue. And there's there's one more huge issue that needs to be discussed. The mm-hmm. issue. The issue that was the biggest issue for, for Iron Man fans, even beyond the crappy suits, even beyond I'm the I'm going to guess this Man. is what is the handling of the Mandarin's identity. The Mandarin. Okay, let me Uh, jump in on that one because I completely agree with you on that. Before we talk about the mistakes that were made in that, of which I believe they are legion, I do still want to give a shout out to Ben Kingsley 
Who's amazing. For being phenomenal, both as the Mandarin and as Trevor Slattery. <laughs> yes. Like, no, ben that Kinsey man can transform himself. Oh, my gosh. Well, and that's actually, okay, so I'm assuming that part of the issue here is, are you disappointed as I was that it's like, what do you mean the Mandarin's not a real guy? Um, like, well, like I said, I wasn't a, I wasn't a giant fan of Iron Man before the movies. I mean, the the Iron Man, the MCU Mm -hmm. Iron Man is my Iron Man. It's the only Iron Man I know or care about. And the Mandarin, you know, I knew from X-Men, but that's two issues of hundreds of issues of X-Men. He wasn't an X-Men villain either. The Mandarin Mm -hmm. was sold to me in the, the, like the Mandarin, if you watch the trailers, the original trailers, I remember the Mandarin Mm -hmm. being so scary sounding in the trailer. That's the thing that Ben Kingsley did such a good job as that Mandarin that regardless of how good he does as Cockney Trevor from, you know, from Manchester or whatever. And yes, I know Cockney accents aren't from Manchester, but leaving that aside, um, (laughs) like it's a disappointment because you're just like, wait a minute, you had this amazing villain with this incredible actor that was doing scary things that was making me feel afraid. And it now suddenly better you're just than Aldrich com- Killian. <laughs> yeah, so much better. Um, and now you're just going to completely, you know what it was? It was, it's the exact same thing as the Iron Man armor. It's suddenly, hey, we had this really, really cool armor and now we're going to just totally cut it out, make it absurd and use it for comedic effect. Yeah. Um, and again, the trailer had so maybe if he wasn't in the trailer like he was like, like I said, I'm not precious about the Mandarin, but in the trailer, they sold him. He was part of the selling point of the film. And I really wanted to see what happened when they came into conflict and they thought I was going to laugh so hard. And I did a little bit, but ultimately I mm-hmm. walked away unsatisfied. Like it was, it was, you know, yeah, it was like going to, okay. So I go to. Outback Steakhouse or Ruth Chris, which is, you know, I know that they don't compare to each other. Let's say Outback because this is not Schindler's List, although Ben Kingsley's in Schindler's List. Um, I go to Outback Steakhouse and I go, okay, what do you have? And they're like, we have amazing steaks. And I'm like, great, bring me one of those amazing steaks. And they bring me out like this this frozen Salisbury steak of, of a dinner that looks like a real steak and it's not. And I was, my mouth is all wet and I was ready for it. And they're like, ha ha, but here, here's a pretty good burger instead. Now the burger might mm-hmm. be pretty good, but damn it. I was really amped up for that steak. I really, yeah. really wanted that steak. And you told me I was going to get that steak and it looks really, and really, feel, really good. And this isn't I fine. Feel like this, is, this is also a mistake that that's made particularly when it comes to comedy. I think you you hit the nail right on the head where you're just like, yeah, yeah, we laughed when we saw him, but this is a this is a mistake that is made a lot by writers, which is just because you get the laugh does not mean that you have actually in any way accomplished your true goal. Um as a uh, as a director, as an actor, um I have encountered on a number of times uh doing a show uh or something you know, somebody will say, maybe the director will say, hey, this bit that you're doing right here. Yeah, it's funny, but we're, we, we're not just here to tell jokes. We've got to further the story. And inevitably, an actor probably won't respond directly to the director, but will like, you know, you know, on the side, just sort of mutter to themselves afterwards. Well, if the audience is, you know, if the audience is laughing, they're enjoying themselves. So, you know, what does it matter? And the reason why is just because... Like if I'm watching a film, just because I'm laughing in the moment does not mean that that moment is going to feel in any way satisfactory to me an hour later. Like you said, we both laughed. Um, I both really enjoyed the Trevor Slattery scene when he reveals himself. I chuckled at Ben Kingsley's uh, hilarious antics, but that did not change the fact that by the end of the film, I was really disappointed with how that whole story had gone down. Yeah, because wouldn't it have been cool if the Mandarin was a formidable enemy. I mean, the Marvel films up to this point, I mean, we've, as we've sort of analyzed in superhero films for the past 15 years, ironically, what, or, you know, the original X-Men, there was clearly that sense of, oh, we don't want to be too superhero filmy, the whole, what did you expect, yellow spandex. Marvel has proven time and time again that if you are willing to lean in 
to the proverbial yellow spandex or lean in to super powered villain with 10 magic rings that can do stuff that actually is going to give the audience more of what they came for. And I don't even think he needs the 10 magic rings. I just need him to not be troubles at Trevor Slattery is what it comes yeah. down to. Now, and an maybe interesting any side one of note, the, maybe um, any one of these would have been fine. I think that's the other thing. Like maybe pitting Tony Stark minus his Iron Man car- car- like armor against the guy who arranged in the first place, you know, the 10 rings organization against the guy who arranged what happened to him in the first place, a seemingly all knowing, super powerful mastermind where who has essentially worked out a labyrinth of challenges for Tony because he likes to mess with Tony and, Mm -hmm. and like, and, and have it tying back to the first film because the 10 rings did it and watching intellect versus intellect, intellect versus intellect, where finally you find out that it is Aldrich Killian who is being manipulated. He's been manipulated all along. He's this codependent character from the beginning of the movie. Who's become codependent with the Mandarin. And so now he is super powered through the extremist virus because he wants to fight Tony and Tony is given his original armor just because Mandarin wants to see who's going to win. Like that's, that's all engaging, but yeah. the, the, the twist is, it's not at all working for me. Um, yeah. Interesting thing. So, I should, uh, as a sort of Easter egg, um, or as, or the, uh, it, I, I like to think of it as it is the post credit scene to end all post credit scenes in that it is so post credits that you don't even see it in the theater on YouTube. I forget when I saw this, it might've been like a couple of years later. There I know what you're talking about. Like it's a, on the it's on the Thor two DVD. I think it's on the Thor two DVD. Yeah, where essentially it's like a 15 minute short film of Trevor Slattery in prison and With visited Justin Hammer by too. some Justin Hammer's there too. It's amazing. Oh, nice. Um, the uh, you know, and then he's visited by a, a couple individuals who make it very clear. There is someone out there who is not happy with the image of the Mandarin that Trevor Slattery has been creating, you know, thus sort of seeding the possibility of, ooh, there's a real Mandarin out there, um, which, you know, it's a it's a neat little throw in thing. I don't know if they're ever going to do anything with it, but, you know, it's, you know, listeners, you should know what's out there if you are curious. Yeah. Now, here's. What I'll give this film, because I've been spending a lot of time being really down on this film. I think this film is a terrible first watch. I stand by my anger on the first watch of this film. I think that this film fails to give you almost anything you were looking for outside of a really good Robert Downey Jr. performance. Mm-hmm. Fails to give yeah, the dialogue anything, crackles. Anything you're looking for in specifically an Iron Man film. Um, that, with the possible exception... Of the uh, the possible exception of the house crashing sequence and the airplane sequence. Those are pretty great. Um, mm-hmm. But with the exception of those two sequences and Robert Downey Jr., there, this film does not give you anything that you wanted in a movie called Iron Man 3. It gave you other stuff, some of which is very good. I would say this film gets better upon rewatching because you can just roll your eyes past the the stuff that you don't like and you can just go, okay, well now you know, once you get to when you, when you know film, that you're at, when you know that your expectations are going to be subverted ahead of time, particularly in, particularly in a disappointing way, it makes it a lot easier to swallow the second time through. So you or can once just you have no more better aspects. Like yeah. I have no more, I have no more expectations out of the empire strikes back, which is my favorite film of all time. I have no expectations out of it. What, what can I possibly expect out of it? I know everything that's going to happen that you, you already expect, know. Yeah. You can't expect something that you know. So that being the case, then you get into enjoying the moment to moment. And this film is lovely, actually, in its moment yeah. to moment. I I mean, his the his dialogue with the kid in the garage is still one of my favorite things in Marvel just because it's so I mean, and now knowing that it's the same guy who did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, that makes so much sense. When, you know, he asks the kid, Is there anyone home? And the and the kid is like, Yeah, well, my mother's out you know, working. My dad went out for lottery tickets. I, I guess he won because that was six years ago, um, which is such the setup for all kinds of, uh, you know, that it's the classic trope of, you know, oh, the poor tiny Tim down on his luck kid that the, that the superhero has to sort of take under his wing. And when Tony's response is, um, you know, and pardon my French, but I'm quoting the movie specifically, he's just like, well, yeah, lots of 
kids have their dads leave them doesn't mean you need to be a pussy about it. Um, yeah. But it is said in a way that you know it is strangely enough supportive. Um, the The relationship he has with the kid is full of snark and contention on the surface. But and this is you know and I this is a credit to Robert Downey Jr. and also to the and kid. And to the kid. Um, yeah. The that underneath all of that. Tony is very much still being a father figure to the kid, just in, an a way, just in a way that we have never seen before. And I really liked that. Well, and I think that, so when we go back to my, my Iron Man, um, my Iron Man 2 film, my biggest problem with Iron Man 2 was that feeling of it just was, that, that feeling that it was just, improvised and and it was fly by night and nobody really kind of cared about it um where mm-hmm. in this film this is them doing dialogue every line of this is written or most of it is written you can tell it's it crackles it's got that you know that that Joss Whedon Aaron Sorkin crackle to it you know what i mean mm-hmm. um yeah it's it is watching them actually act is so refreshing it's so good mm-hmm. and I I think that this is the best performance that Robert Downey Jr. has given in the role, without a doubt. I completely agree. I mean, that's um, the thing is, even if it even if it may have been a mistake for them to focus so much on Tony outside of the suit, one of the side effects of that is that we actually get some real exploration of layers in Tony that that Downey Jr. is able to really bring out. And let me say, I think Gwyneth Paltrow is great in this film. This is this is when I early on said I hate I don't like Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper. I think she's a real weakness, but I, I remember her getting better. I think she's great in mm-hmm. this movie. I think there's none yeah. of that none of that, but you'll die. I mean there's there's none of that. There's there's she is strong, she owns her character, she is she mm-hmm. is wonderful in it. I think Don Cheadle is really good. I think Guy Pierce is doing okay. I think Rebecca Hall say, gives I, a gives a very haunting performance. Yeah. And you mentioned Don Cheadle. This film made me realize why I actually really prefer Cheadle's uh, roadie to uh, Terrence Howard. Um, which is what? The, uh, which is, uh, I was asking, it's like Terrence Howard, am I remembering the name right? Yes, um, yes, yes. And yes. then I was thinking, well, I guess I did remember the name right because you didn't correct me. So, okay. Moving on. The reason why is there is chemistry in the riffing and the dialogue between Cheadle and Stark. They are both snarky. They both undercut serious situations with a little bit of humor and self-referential stuff, which to me would explain more how these two people became friends years ago, even before Tony had his revelation and became Iron Man. Um, Terrence Howard's roadie was a little bit more just straightforward, straight-laced, which, while not necessarily conflicting with Tony Stark, um, it didn't lend itself as well to a... You know, there was a there's a real chemistry in the friendship uh, and the conversations between Cheadle's roadie and uh, and Tony Stark. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that's chemistry is what it comes down to in this film. But you know, we 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 said how great the the chemistry was in um, we said how great the chemistry was in Iron Man two, and that's what saves it almost from itself with all the improvisational stuff. This is chemistry Mm -hmm. that's on the page that the actors are also elevating as opposed to the Mm -hmm. actors just holding it up. And I think that every character with the exception of Aldrich Killian has chemistry with the people in the world around him. I, you know, I like Mm -hmm. Guy Pierce. I've seen Guy Pierce be very good. Um, I loved him in Memento. I think I've seen him be very good. He's not very good here. I think he's Aldrich Killian is just not that inspired a character, really. He's very yeah. cookie cutter. Um I you know, it's it's worth noting that that we got a I just want to give a little shout out to Ty Simpkins, who's the kid, who it was also yeah. the kid in Jurassic World. Um, who was uh also if you see the Insidious, the the scary looking kid on the front of Insidious, that's him. Uh this guy works uh all the time still. And is, mm-hmm. you know, despite his age, is just wonderful. Um, even President Ellis, you know, I love to see William Sad- Sadler in anything. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, of course, we all know him as Sloan from Deep Space Nine. A lot of people know him from the bad guy from uh, the bad guy from Die Hard 2. But to me, he will always have a special place as death from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Oh, um, my gosh. I never realized that. That's fantastic. Yep. Yeah, no, he will always <laughs> do not overlook my butt. I work out all the time and <laughs> reaping burns a lot of calories. It's just. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That- um. So like the 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 chemistry is so present and so well done you didn't need to just be improvising to make it work. And yeah. so I I like I really got to give it to to the moment to moment the 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 chemistry between this film this film is no longer at the bottom of the heap for me because now that I expect nothing of it it's actually a really enjoyable watch. <laughs> yeah, really, I, th- I I think that that's a really that's a great discovery is realizing Sometimes, if you know ahead of time the dis- the things that really disappoint you in a film, you can you can just sort of you you write those off, and then you can just enjoy uh, the moments that that you did that you did. Well, so it's you know we're recording this at Christmas time, and this is a Christmas movie, as as you and I talked about before the show. I just finished watching another Christmas movie, one of my favorite Christmas movies, which is Batman Returns, which is a movie we're going to get to probably next year. Um, mm-hmm. Batman Returns has some moments in it that are so weird and so strange. It is the arguably the strangest superhero movie ever made. Um, and when I first saw it, I liked it a lot, but there are moments in it that I was like, oh, wow, okay. I guess they're doing that. Um, now mm-hmm. that I know those moments are coming, it's another movie that I like it more and more and more and more and more. It's my favorite Batman movie because it's got, Moment to moment to moment to moment. It's just a joy to watch. You could have a movie that really gives you everything on the surface that you really, really dig when you first watch it that on rewatching you go, oh, this movie's already given me everything that I needed from it. A surface yeah, watch was no, all I needed further to, to mine. Yeah, to enjoy it. And as a matter of fact, further watchings of it uh, degrade it in my mind. Uh, Independence Day is a movie that is that fits right there. That when I first yeah, watched it, I was like, whoa! And then on second watch, Sixth Sense is also a movie that after the second or third watch does nothing for me anymore. Yeah, I'd actually, I'd had the reveal, I'd had the twist of Sixth Sense spoiled for me ahead of time. Um, and Hey, while, I have an idea. I mean... You want to you wanna just break format and let's just talk about Sixth Sense next week. Sixth Sense? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, I, okay. I, mean, I, know, I know we'd been... Just kidding, guys. About, we were already uh, we we were we were already going to do yeah. that, but you know, I thought it would be cool yeah. if we made it seem like it happened. Well, wait, right we're, now. were we doing were we doing Sixth Sense or were we doing Unbreakable? Because Unbreakable is indisputably a superhero film. Yeah, but Sixth Sense comes first. If we're going to watch it in order. Oh wait, okay. no, we're not doing Sixth right. Sense. No, we're not doing Sixth yeah, Sense. I lied. We're doing. We Unbreakable. just talked about this yesterday. <laughs> I know. I'm what really drunk. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, okay. we've got. Well, uh, the, we're going to have to get to the ratings pretty soon, but before we do, um, there was just one thing. We touched on it a little bit earlier that I wanted to uh, just bring up because it occurred to me that we have watched three Iron Man films so far and talked about each of the films and have not yet discussed the actual very common superhero trope of normal person in a super robot suit. Um, and this is, you know, this is a trope. You, you see it a little bit in Western comics. You see it all the time in uh japanese like anime you know the mecha you know people in either giant mechs or in sort of human-sized robots um and on the surface it's just hey normal person uses their technological smarts to give themselves superpowers um but there was something that someone once mentioned to me uh specifically about uh japan's approach to the robot suit that i really liked which is the best suits um you know the best weapons are really things that are meant to be extensions of the character in them um and that got me back to thinking about iron man one and the fact that tony was in the suit um that the suits had more personality there especially when tony was in them i realized that one of my biggest issues with this with this film is when you take tony out of the suits they just become remote control toys with weaponry. Like there is, these suits had less character to them um, I see what you than mean. before. Yeah. The, the, the uh, suit, the, the suit, the suit 
itself was not only a character in the movie, but mattered on a personal level to the character who wore, who wore it. Yeah. And it's not Tony entirely impossible so to... about these suits that he just blows them up. Yeah. And like, now you can have an external robot suit that you control still have personality. Um, I mean, look to, was it Real Steel, the, uh, the Rock'em Sock'em Robots film? Um, that was a classic example of somebody who was still sort of remote controlling the robot, but the robot also had sort of its own personality. Um, but I feel like, so my general thesis, which, you know, all other things being equal, I would say if you're going to have robots, um, either have the person inside the robot or if the person, if the controller is going to be external to the robot, then you need to find some way to give that robot a personality in and of itself. Um, otherwise you lose any sense of real personal connection to it. Well, and I think having Tony care about the suit itself would make it matter. You know, one, one yes. can look to, um, look to, for instance, the way Harry Potter carry cares about his uh, broomstick. When the broomstick gets, when, when his uh, Nimbus 2000 gets, gets broken in the, I guess it's the third Harry Potter movie or third Harry mm-hmm. Potter book. It is such a big deal because he loved that broom. He loved it. Yeah. He didn't just like having it. He loved the broom itself and another broom as good. You know, the firebolt when he gets it, it's not. It's loved, but it's not as loved. A ship in Star Trek is a great example. You yeah, know, when the ship yeah. goes down. You care because they cared about the ship. They love the ship. It's a weepable. Whereas moment. again, in this they, one, like Iron, the Iron Man suit gets you know destroyed by a you know it flies into a Mack truck and gets shattered into a whole bunch of bits. Um, yeah, and, and Tony's, nobody cares. Tony's response is either, "Oh, I'll just build a new." Like he always gets the sense of, "Oh well, I'll just build a new one." There's no consequence yeah. to you're right. There's if there is no consequence, ooh, ooh, here we go. If there is no consequence to the loss of something, then it makes it very difficult, if not impossible, for us to in any way connect with that thing or person on any kind of emotional level. And I'll take it a step further. The consequence can't just be like, oh no, what do I do now? The consequence has to be, I don't have that thing anywhere. It's like I every car that I've ever sold. I ever I always felt a little bit bad about it. Like that was my mm-hmm. car. Bye. Bye car. You know, and that's I I feel like there's not even a sense of that with with these suits which ostensibly Tony has made with his bare hands. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. I've drawn a lot I've 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 recorded a lot of songs in my life and I've drawn a lot of pictures. And the idea of permanently deleting the file of one of the hundreds of songs I've recorded or one of the hundreds of pictures that I've drawn, the idea of ripping one of them up would still crush me, even though there are hundreds mm-hmm. of them. And I don't feel that at all. And the idea is that that suit that just got like destroyed, that was the prototype. He was working on that suit. That suit supposedly yeah. mattered to him at some point. But when it was gone, it was like, oh, guess that's gone. Yeah. You know, there's, Yeah. I think that, you know, as a side note to to your your thing, there's a there's an old eighties TV show that is not about a robot suit, but a super suit called The Greatest American Hero, which is the idea of somebody finds a super suit and the suit makes them super. And mm-hmm. because they don't know what they're doing, it is an extension of them as well. I think Power Rangers works the same thing. It's an extension of them. There's a joy in that, look what this thing can make me do. I love this. And when it's gone, I feel like part of me is missing. And yes, I don't get yeah, that you feel at emptier. all from this. I don't. He doesn't mm-hmm. have joy in being Iron Man. And when it's gone, it's not missing. And when he blows him up, it just seems like a cool fireworks display. And so yeah. you know, well it's said. a shame that they do it that way. Okay. So, all right. Uh, so, a qu- a question that we're going to to ask ourselves, uh, from uh from episode to episode from this point forward, is uh, and Arthur, I'm putting you on the spot, but uh, what okay. would you say the theme of this film is? What would you say is the life lesson or the theme or what the film is contributing to to our psyche? What can we learn from Iron Man three? Um, I feel there are a couple major themes that it touches on. Um, the first, from the villain point of uh, perspective, is the concept of power behind the throne. This film touches a lot about the power of anonymity and 
uh, and how you can do more in the shadows with deception sometimes than just being known as the big bad or being known as the power. Um, so that's certainly something to consider. I mean, ultimately, I think a lot of it comes down to this film inexpertly and not incredibly well touches on the, you know, the concepts of healing from trauma, uh, as well as it does ask, the, it does ask the question, who is the real hero? Is it Iron Man or is it Tony Stark? And the answer that it comes down to is no, it is the man inside the suit, um, when Tony Stark at the end of the first one says, I am Iron Man, you get this thought of you suddenly like the image that comes into my mind is of Tony in the Iron Man suit. When Tony says, I am Iron Man at the end of this film, the image in my head is literally just of Tony Stark. Um, Here's an interesting thing you it should was know. A, in the script, the line was, I am Tony Stark. And... They oh. Changed the, oh, I they would have. Oh my the, gosh, I would have loved that too. Yeah. So oh. Because they, because if they he had like said, he okay, if he it. had said, I am, if he had said, I am Tony Stark in the same way that he said, I am. Oh my god. Oh, yeah, great. Now that that just dinged the movie more for me. <laughs> Sorry. Knowing what could have been. Sorry. So that's that's my thought on it. Okay. So, uh, on a scale of one to five crappy suits. Uh, what would you give Iron Man 3? I would give this 3.5 crappy suits. Uh, I was thinking 3.75, but based on the discussion, the, the fact is I enjoyed this film on seeing it. I enjoyed this film watching it a second time. It's got a lot going for it. I mean, it does, uh, certainly to the non-superhero viewing public, absolutely warrant the 80%. Um, there are a number of flaws and missed opportunities in it. Uh, so the film is good, but not great. Uh, so I would give it a 3.5. I think the film now exists in a solid 3.5, but I think on first viewing, it's like a 1.5. I think that, that, that it's rewatchability is high. And if you've already seen it a couple of times, I invite you to revisit it because it's worth watching again, just because moment to moment it's great. And Robert Downey Jr. is really good. In this film, mm -hmm. I mean, he's really, really, really good in this film. But I can't ever forget my first viewing of it and how disappointed I was in everything that they squandered and what they did to some of my favorite things about Iron Man. And and I hated this film at some point. I've come around on it. So I'm going to average it out to mm -hmm. a 2.5, um, which okay. is some people go, oh, that's average. No, that's a 50% and that's a failing grade. Uh, mm -hmm. I... It, Ultimately, as good as the moment to moment is for me, there is no, there's not a ton to love. There's very little emotional connection and I can love watching. This is, you know what this film is good? This is a great film to watch when you're cleaning your room because mm -hmm. you can tune in for like 10 minutes of it and go, ah, oh, it was a great To enjoy minutes. a specific moment that you really like. Yeah. It's good. There, this if you, in ten minute increments, I'll bet th this film would be amazing. Uh, but as mm -hmm. a as a cinematic experience, it's it just doesn't doesn't do it. So I'm I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it a two point five. Makes sense. So well, all uh, right. Speaking so of sense, I totally week, lied about us doing the sixth sense. We're not doing the sixth sense. Yeah, we're um, actually gonna know. we're actually gonna be doing Lady in the Water. Yeah. So we're going to be doing the Village. <laughs> we're gonna be doing. <laughs> we're going to be doing the Last Airbender. <laughs> which is arguably a superhero oh that's a we whole we will never do the last but, uh, airbender guys we're never gonna do it i'm sorry i won't i won't put myself through it what we are gonna do is we're gonna do um we're going to do a movie called unbreakable uh next week the yeah beginning of what's going to be a three-part series bringing us through unbreakable through the movie split which is not a superhero movie sort of unless you realize that later it's going to be a super villain origin story and then finally glass when it opens in january um you know this i've been excited about this because unbreakable is the precursor to the to the dark knight trilogy to the super the, the serious superhero movie um is owes a lot to unbreakable not a perfect film it was one of really the first films to, to really come out and say it was one of the first films to really come out and say no let's talk about comics because comics are legitimately a big deal and this is something that should be explored 
yeah, so I'm really looking forward to to going through that. I loved Split, and I'm really like excited to watch that again. Um, and the fact that it's all coming together into a shared universe, I'm I'm all for it. Here's a question: When we get to the end of Glass, I know nothing. I heard this on another on another podcast. Are we going to find out at the end of the movie in a in a like post credit scene that there's a man who can see dead people? And we're going to have to go back and watch The Sixth Sense afterwards. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And will the last airbender be there? And will they be there after Earth? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, uh, but for now, my name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And hey there, true believers. Stay iron. I am totally super. I am totally super. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not safe for work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Enlight Entertainment. 